Our speaker today is David Garrett. David is a painter, he's a school chaplain, he's married to our associate vicar, Helen, and uh, he's a great guy and he's got a great word, he's a great friend. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes to speak to us. Good morning. Um, right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read from the Bible and then I'm going to talk about it. Are you ready for that? So uh, the theme is the love of God or how we grasp the love of God. And uh, the passage that I'm reading from should be behind me. It's Ephesians and it's chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. So this is Paul writing from prison to a church in Ephesus. Okay, here we go. He writes, for this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, That was essentially the prayer that Kate prayed uh, before the notices, that we may uh, learn and understand and grasp what it is to know God's love in our life. So just a little bit of context. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and uh, it's a very positive letter, which is surprising because he's in prison. And uh, he's either under house arrest or he's in prison just looking at the four walls around him. So the context is very bad. But what's surprising is that he's writing such a positive letter. And uh, throughout the the letter to the Ephesians, he is again and again affirming to us what the love of God is, what it looks like how we can experience it in our lives. Um, Now, what surprises me about this is that he's in prison, yet he's writing such a positive letter. And uh, certainly in my own circumstances, and I don't think I'm any different from anybody else, I tend, even though I've been a Christian for about 30 years plus, extraordinary, isn't it? (laughs) When was he converted? Five? I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll have to ask him later. Uh, Even though I've been a Christian for so long, um, I still habitually draw my energy for life, my confidence, my affirmation from my circumstances. Paul's not doing this, but I do it, and I think you probably do it as well. Um, I remember, uh, well, of course I remember, it was only about two weeks ago. But anyway, I was in a restaurant, uh, and I ordered something that had a huge amount of tomatoes on it. And, uh, And I thought, well, this is going to be good. And I bit into it, and it was very nice. And I had a tomato, and it was really sour. And I thought, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit offensive. Anyway, I carried on, and uh, then again I had another tomato, and that was really sour. And every tomato was sour. And I thought to myself, um, I'm not enjoying the meal, but that could be a good sermon illustration. <laughs> and I tell you why it's a good sermon illustration, because life feels like eating sour tomatoes on toast, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You were thinking that as well. Uh, So you're kind of progressing in life, it's going okay, then you eat a sour tomato and it's ugh, and then you carry on and there's another one. 
Um, but seriously, uh, the scripture tells us, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that we are to expect in life that things are going to be difficult and tough. I mean, it's all over the Bible. In the book of Proverbs, it says, um, a person is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. I tell you, you won't get that as a church motto in many churches, will you? <laughs> Come on in. You're, gonna, you're born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. That's a guarantee. Come and join us. Uh, Jesus says, um, he says, in this life you will have many troubles. So he's setting up the scenario. I don't like that scenario, but that is the context in which I live. After that, he says, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, in this letter, just before the passage I read, Paul says to the Ephesian church who were observing him in prison in his suffering, he says, look, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings. Don't look at them and be discouraged. Instead, look at the gospel I preach and be encouraged. So you and I, in our lives, we experience short-term difficulties and disappointments. We experience medium-term ones, and sometimes they're really long-term I was reading something in the Old Testament recently. It was Jacob, and at the end of his life, he says, my pilgrimage through life has been long and difficult. Oh, gosh, I thought, what a misery. But you know, what this teaches, and what Paul is teaching us here, is that if you're relying on the world, if you're plugged into the world, and you're trying to extract from it all the time what will affirm you and give you life and give you hope, you will either be too easily pleased or you will be disappointed. Paul knows this, which is why he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church and to us. Paul draws his life and his affirmation and the love of God from the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that means to him and means to us. Now, I haven't got time to read it, but if you read through the letter to Ephesians, it is so rich in all that the love of God given to us in Jesus means. I just go it through it very quickly, but there's even more than this that I'm going to list here. It talks about you have received in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have received every spiritual blessing in him. You are chosen by name. You are a recipient of his grace. You are redeemed. The redemption is a great word. That means that God is able to purchase your the mess of your life through the death of Jesus, he's, he likes doing that and he likes to take it and he likes to make it into something new and good. You are redeemed. You've got that over your life the whole time. You are forgiven. You are in his will. You have received his truth. You have his Holy Spirit in your life. You have, in, you have inherited eternal life. You are in an eternal relationship with your heavenly Father. You have received the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a new life in Jesus, and you have a new family surrounding you. That's just a bit of what the love of God means for you. So in an, in an uncertain world, Paul is saying, for goodness sake, if you know Jesus, Draw your life from him. Don't make the error of drawing it from the world. However, this is however, um, when God speaks to us through his word, he speaks to us knowing very well the reality of our lives. He knows what human nature is like. He knows that when he takes us and he gives us his spirit 
and we receive his forgiveness and his love and we're established in our relationship with Jesus. He knows, as as the language of Ephesians says, that when we are rooted and established in Christ's love, he knows that we're not very good at grasping the implications of that. Because Paul writes, I pray now, all you Christians living in Ephesus, and all you Christians throughout history, and all you Christians living uh, in Brighton and the surrounding area and coming to St. Peter's, I pray that you would grasp, you would take hold of, you would understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. He's praying, I pray that you would grasp what you've got, not what you're working for, but what you've already got. You're already rooted and established in Jesus. But Paul's prayer is that you grasp hold of what you have. God is speaking to you through scripture, through the songs you sing, through the words you hear through these talks. He's speaking to you all the time. You are loved, you are chosen, you are forgiven, you are a child of eternity. All these are expressions of his love. Are we listening? Are we listening? Uh, I was um, confirmed relatively recently. Um, Do you know what that means? No. Oh, great story then, this is going to be, isn't it? When you're baptised as a child, as an infant, your parents make certain promises on your behalf. When you get older, you claim them for yourself in a special church service that the Church of England do. Uh, Now, I am ordained in the Church of England, so I'm a priest in the Church of England. And in order for me to do that, become a priest, I had to be confirmed. I hadn't done that bit, so I had to go to a special service where I said, I, uh, I receive all the promises made on my behalf in my baptism. Okay? So I was in the place, I was in the right place, I had all the instructions, I was amongst all the people who were also being confirmed. And uh, during the service, uh, I, I, lost my, I lost my order of service, which had all the words and the instructions on. And I couldn't find it. And I didn't know where it was. I thought, is it in my pocket? Is it in my jacket pocket? Is it under my chair? Is it on my chair? Has somebody stolen it? Where is it? I don't know where it is. Anyway, I noticed the church had fallen silent. So I was looking around under my chair. And I vaguely became aware of a voice, just one voice in the church. And it was saying, unless you say you are willing, we cannot continue with the service. I thought, what idiot is not willing? This is ridiculous. And I thought, where's the order of service? Unless you are willing, we cannot continue with the service. A voice calling out to me. It was the bishop. And then he said, David, David, you need to understand that unless you say you are willing to take on the promises that were given on your behalf at your baptism, we cannot continue with the service. I said, I'm willing. I'm willing. Do you see? You can be in exactly the right place. I was in the right place for my confirmation. I was even hearing the words, but I wasn't grasping them. I wasn't taking them in. You see, you can be in Christ, just as I am in Jesus Christ, and I have all the promises of his love, just as Kate was praying earlier. But do we grasp them? Paul says, I pray you would grasp them. I am in the right place. You are in the right place. God is telling you that in this place, in Christ, He is praying that you grasp the full implications of the love of God in your life. Now, what is true now was true right at the beginning of my relationship with Jesus. And this whole business of the love of God being absolutely central in our lives as Christians is, I have to say, 
is one that is, you might be astonished to hear this, even though I'm a priest in the Church of England. I'm just being honest. Um, is something that, understanding the love of God is something that has often eluded me. Because I'm a very busy person. I've got lots of plans. I've got lots of ambitions. There are lots of things I want to do. And I remember when I first became a Christian, it wasn't long after that, I was attending a youth group about age 17. And Mrs. Eames had prepared something for our youth group. And uh, she just read a few lines from a book, and it sticks in my mind. I think I know why now. It didn't really have any great impact at the time, but it was foundational. And it is something, in a sense, that God has always been drawing me to ever since. She read from a book, and she said, do you realize to be loved by God, to love God in return, and to love others as you have been loved is absolutely foundational, is at the absolute heart of what you are as a follower of Jesus. To be loved by God, to love God in return, to love others as you have been loved is foundational. Now, I was a teenager. I had only just been uh, converted. I knew I was converted, but I had lots of plans. I was in a band. I love music. Parties were kind of getting into full swing. I was into my art. I grew my hair long. I got a couple of earrings. I was into finding the right relationship for me. I was going to head off to university soon. I was going to travel. And there was Mrs. Eames telling me, with all that excitement going on, that foundational in my life, she just got it out of a book. It didn't even seem that well prepared. She said, be loved by God is the foundation of your life. Love God in return. Love others as you have been loved. And I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, that sounds boring. That sounds tedious. I've got a lot on and I've got a lot to do. I've got a busy life. Now, 30 years later, I tell you what, I had not grasped the reality of my own life. I had not grasped God's truth. I had not understood my own nature. I had not understood that in Christ, God has resourced the deepest and most profound need of my heart and your heart. I didn't understand that she had encapsulated what is the absolute foundation of your life and my life. And I think even though for 30 years plus I have been standing rooted and established in Christ, learning the lesson that actually the fuel for my life, um, the deepest need of my life is to know and understand the full implications of what God has done for me in Jesus. It's taken a long, long time. Doesn't mean I'm not being a Christian at all. It just means like Paul is praying, I had not properly understood and grasped the, in, the implications of Jesus' love for me, and that is the deepest need of my heart. In the book of Ecclesiastes, not uh, a book that is read often, I suspect, in churches, um, the writer says this, he says, God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings, in you and I. He set eternity. Now, eternity is a big space. That's a huge space. And it will be only the love of the eternal God that can fill it. Now, in my life as a, a follower of Jesus, I've given a nod to that. 
I've read about it, I've got books on it, I've preached on it, but have I understood it? Have I grasped it? That only the eternal God can fill the eternal space. You know, um, I've enjoyed many things in my life, and there are many good things to enjoy. Uh, marriage, um, having kids, um, relatively good health. Um, I've had some success, I guess, as an artist. Um, I think we're okay financially, I think. Not always, but uh, it's been okay. I like music, I like art, I like books, I like holidays. These are all good things. And I have spent a lot of time trying to pursue things that will give my life hope, meaning, and purpose. But I have discovered in 30 years that the temporal, the everyday, the good things of this world cannot fill the eternal. 30 years to grasp what is foundational, and I'm still grasping it now. Understanding the temporal will not satisfy the eternal. God has put the eternity in your hearts, and only the eternal love of God can fill it. Now, I think in life it will sometimes take numerous incidents and episodes in order to jolt us out of the position that we're in. And uh, I remember a number of years ago, um, again, it wasn't long after I'd become a Christian, I was living with a, a particular family. And my faith at that time, I was rooted and established in Christ, but God for me was a tick box. I had a number of demands that I wanted him. I had prayers and I had a number of demands that I wanted him to answer. Uh, but he wasn't answering them in the way I wanted him to. I was working as an artist. I was getting some work, but not enough work. And it was making my mood pretty low. Um, I was uh, not earning as much money as I hoped I could. Uh, and I hadn't found a significant other either. Hadn't got a girlfriend. Oh, poor me. Poor me. And I remember sitting with my friend, and um, I was having a meal with him, and he, he served up asparagus. And I thought, what is this strange substance in front of me? And um, he, he served it up, and I ate about half of it. And he observed me watching. He watched me eat it. And I, and I got halfway through. I said, this is not very nice, is it? He said, do you know why that is? I said, I don't know why that is. He said, because you're eating it upside down. <laughs> you're eating it upside down. And I said to him, and I said to him, he was a close friend. I said, do you know, I think I'm losing my faith. I'm losing my faith. I'm not getting any success as an artist. I'm not making any money. God hasn't answered my prayer for a girlfriend, and I'm eating my asparagus upside down. What's the point? What's the point? What is the point of my faith? And he said, I think real faith is probably beginning. I think that's what's happening. Real faith. Not, in a, not a faith in a slot machine God who gives me what I want when I'm asking for it, but a faith in the work that Jesus has done for me. He has died for me and he has loved me. Surely the most important lesson that you and I can understand and grasp hold of is the fact that Jesus has done something for you which is going to last for eternity. That's the key, that's the gospel. That is what God is calling us to grasp and understand, the full implications of his love given to us, grasping it, understanding it. Now, um, I hope I'm not oversharing. <laughs> anyway, one more illustration. Um, I said I had relatively good health. That was until quite recently, and I, I, I went to the doctor, and I, um, 
I had potentially something that was quite serious. And again, I'd been a Christian for about 30 years. I've read all the books on suffering. I've read C.S. Lewis's book on suffering. Uh, I've read loads of, or listened to loads of sermons on suffering. I'd preached them. I knew all the Bible verses. And, uh, but now I was suffering. And I had a, potentially had a condition that could be potentially life-changing. And suddenly, I was confronted with my own mortality. As some of you will be here today. And I remember thinking, that's just awful. What am I going to do? I haven't achieved everything I want to achieve. I don't even know that I've been a very good dad, have I been a very good husband. If there's only a short amount of time, how am I going to make up for the things that I haven't done well? How am I going to leave a legacy? And I got into a panic about it. If my life is cut short, what am I going to do? And I felt really bad about it. And it really focused my thoughts. I thought, do you know, I've been speaking about these things for years. I've been sharing them in Bible study groups. I've been reading books on it. Now is the time to grasp hold of the thing that I've been talking about so long. That I am loved by God and his love for me makes me a child of eternity. That I have to take what God has given me and apply it to my life in my circumstances. God loves me and he will be in a relationship, I will be in a relationship with him forever, no matter what happens. Instead of focusing on the moment, the difficulty, I need to look up and I need to focus on the eternal love of God and get a sense of perspective. It was a real lesson in grasping hold of what I've already got. And I know some of you will be going through that struggle now. Do you know, the Christian life, I sometimes think, is like concentrating on a voice in a noisy bar. You know what I mean? It's so noisy. There's so much going on. There's so much distraction. And when somebody's talking to you, you've really got to focus. You've got to listen in. And I've certainly found over the last uh, few months in my own life, we've had an awful lot on without much break. Life has felt like a noisy room. We've had difficulties in terms of health with the wider family. Um, some difficult decisions have had to be make, made. There's some certain issues with work. Uh, we've experienced a bereavement. We've done a lot of traveling. That's the background of our lives. And um, this has been going on for some time. And um, I think it was James asked me to preach at the beginning of the week. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll give that a go. I'll give that a go. And he said, can you preach the sermon that you, um, uh, some of the stuff that you preached at St. Richard's a few weeks ago? I said, I can do that. And it was all about the love of God. It was all about this. And I thought, oh no, I've got to preach on the love of God, but I'm not feeling it because life has been so busy and it's been difficult. I've not been able to concentrate on it. How am I going to preach on something that is presently such a challenge in my own life? But that is the challenge because it's pretty much all of life. This is where we are. This is the context. And in a sense, I had to preach to myself. And I had to grasp hold of what it means to be loved by God, for that to sink into my mind and into my heart and change the way I think and feel. You and I, no matter what we are going through, if we belong to Jesus, are rooted and established in his love. And Paul is praying, and we must pray for each other, that we grasp hold of the implications of that. So I'm thinking sometimes, am I okay? Am I all right? 
Am I a responsible human being? The love of God says you are chosen in Christ. That is who I am. I make mistakes in what I do and in my choices. The love of God says you are redeemed. It is God's specialism to take hold of your mistakes and make them into successes in his kingdom. That's what the love of God does. I feel guilty maybe sometimes over the way I've been a husband or a dad or a son. The love of God says you are a constant recipient of God's mercy in Jesus. That is a constant in your life. Listen to that in the noisy and crowded room of your ideas. I worry sometimes about what have I, I have achieved. Have I done enough? What will my legacy be? Have I, has my witness been good enough? Well, I sometimes wonder, I wonder if Mrs. Eames ever thought that as she sat in front of a whole group of teenagers just reading a few lines from a book. Does she realize that 30 years later, what she said will be mentioned in a sermon at St. Peter's? Does she understand that? What's your legacy? A simple, faithful following of Jesus will leave a legacy. Don't panic about it. It will. So, grasping hold of the love of God in Christ. It's what we're about. It's what we need to do. We need to understand where we are, and we need to take hold of that. Three things. Number one, understand that the love of God, how deep, wide, long, and high it is, is a primary need for you and I and all the implications of that love. Read it in Ephesians. A little bit of homework. I work in a school. Sorry, I'm talking to you like you're a class. Um, homework, read through Ephesians and see all the promises of the love of God and what they mean for you. Number two, pray it in. Get praying. Maybe find someone in the congregation and pray for them. Pray that they will understand and grasp the full implications of the love of God in their lives. Pray for them. Pray for each other. What I like at St. Peter's is when a sermon is preached, we don't just go, all right, clear off then and apply that to your life. Don't say that. We say, come forward, as we will do shortly. Come forward and pray it in. So if this is difficult for you and it's difficult for me to understand what you've been given in Jesus, come and pray it in if you're struggling, if it's difficult, if it's hard, come forward and receive prayer. It's a great thing that we do here. It's a great opportunity. So come and receive some prayer ministry. That's number two. Number three, do not give up the habit of meeting together. Because as you meet together, corporately as we are now, you sing and you talk about and you pray about the love of God. You're reminded about it all the time. So come to church regularly and listen to it, hear it, and learn to grasp it. Amen. Amen.